Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. All participants, please stand by. Your conference is ready to begin. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the National Bank of Canada's first quarter 2020 results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Linda Boulanger, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Ms. Boulanger. Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to National Bank's first quarter 2020 presentation. Presenting to you this afternoon are Louis Vachon, President and CEO, Ghislaine Parent, Chief Financial Officer, and Bill Bonnell, Chief Risk Officer. Following our presentation, we will open the call for questions. Also joining us for the Q&A session are Stéphane Achard and Lucie Blanchet, co-heads of PNC Banking, Martin Gagnon, Head of Wealth Management, Laurent Ferreira and Denis Giroir, co-head of Financial Markets, and Jean Dagenet, Senior VP Finance. Before we begin, I refer you to slide two of our presentation, providing National Bank's caution regarding forward-looking statements. With that, let me now turn the call over to Louis Vachon. Merci, Linda, and thank you for uh, everyone for joining us. Earlier today, we reported excellent results with adjusted net earnings of $620 million, up 12% from last year. Our performance was driven by continued growth in all business segments, disciplined cost management, and strong credit quality. For Q1, the bank delivered a robust return on equity of 18.3%. Our credit quality remains excellent, reflecting our prudent approach to lending and a resilient economy. Quebec's economy continues to perform well, fueled by net immigration at record levels. Population now grows at a rate of approximately 1%, double that in the U.S., Consumer sentiment remains supportive in our home province. Unemployment averaged 5.1% in 2019, the lowest rate on record. The unemployment to population ratio for people aged 15 to 64 surged to a record 76.8%, more than 2% above the national average. Women's labor force participation rate stands at 87%, the third highest among the OECD countries. The household net savings rate in Quebec exceeds 9% currently, the highest in a generation, and far above the Canadian average. Lastly, household leverage is moderate as housing remains affordable. Before moving to the business segments, let me briefly comment on the situation relating to the COVID-19 virus. While it is early, our team is closely monitoring the situation and its potential impact on the global Canadian and Cambodian economies. Now, let me share some highlights of our business segment's performance going forward. Our PNC segment continues to have very good momentum on both sides of the balance sheet. In all our retail and commercial uh, businesses, we remain very focused on achieving the right balance between volume growth, risk management, and margins. In that context, I am very comfortable with our current positioning. Our investments continue to be driven by our number one objective of offering our clients the best experience. In personal banking, we're seeing notable progress in our clients' digital engagement, 
which is a key driver of client satisfaction and retention, as well as efficiency. This is a direct result of investments in our data and digital infrastructure over the last past few years. In commercial banking, we have successfully completed the deployment of a new innovative financing platform for small business clients, resulting in much shorter approval and disbursement times. In addition, we've initiated an important transformation last year on the investment side of our personal and wealth business lines. Our goal is to adopt a common and simplified adversary approach to deliver our clients a best-in-class integrated experience. So far, more than 2,500 advisors have been trained in behavioral advisory coaching. As an example of tangible results, the number of clients with systematic investment has more than doubled for NIGO, which is our new mass market experience, investment experience. Our wealth management platform delivered another quarter of double-digit double earnings growth. Favorable markets and net inflows contributing, contributed to generating strong assets and revenue growth. In the current environment, we continue to benefit from the shift to fee-based and managed assets, which allows our investment advisors to be more efficient and concentrate on delivering meaningful advice to their clients. During the first quarter, our assets under administration reached the half a trillion dollars threshold for the first time, highlighting the diversification and leadership of our franchise. We continue the investments in talent and digital initiatives. We remain well positioned for future growth. Turning to financial markets, we delivered another robust quarter. Both global markets and investment banking benefited from the general recovery in the market environment from a year ago. Our differentiated business mix with a higher contribution from global markets continues to pay off. This quarter witnessed sustained momentum in core equity niches, namely securities finance and structural products, as well as in fixed income. We continued investments in our financial markets franchise in favorable market conditions. Our outlook remains positive for the business as a whole. Our international segment continues to perform very well. As mentioned last quarter, Credigy has a robust pipeline and is expected to deliver double-digit earnings growth in the current fiscal year. In Cambodia, ABA Bank had another very strong quarter with net income up 71% and loans and deposits up 50% year over year. As mentioned in our last call, we are maintaining our current moratorium on significant additional investments in emerging markets. As we are entering a new year, our capital deployment strategy remains unchanged. Our number one priority is to maintain strong capital levels. Second, we continue to invest in our businesses to fuel organic growth in our core markets with the objective of generating positive operating leverage for fiscal 2020. Returning capital to shareholders remains a priority for the bank. As mentioned on our last call, we put a hold on our buybacks during the first quarter to absorb regulatory adjustments. We are pleased with our current capital level, which is strong at a, with our CT1 level at 11.7%. As usual, we, provide, we will provide an update on our dividend policy next quarter. To wrap up, I am pleased with our first quarter results. In an environment of macroeconomic and geopolitical uncertainties, all our businesses continue to have good momentum. Our capital is strong, and we continue to manage our costs effectively. Our credit position remains excellent, against a solid micro backdrop in Quebec and Canada. On that, I will now turn the call over to Giselle. Thank you, Louis, and good afternoon, everyone. 
the bank delivered a solid performance in the first quarter, driven by good business momentum, disciplined cost management, and strong credit quality. My comments today will focus on, on efficiency and capital, beginning on page 7. We started the year with continued momentum on the efficiency front, delivering a solid operating leverage of 2.8% in our first quarter. Our PNC segment delivered positive operating leverage in Q1, partially driven by muted expense growth, resulting mainly from lower amortization following the, the write-down of obsolete technology recorded in the third quarter of 2019, as well as from savings related to distribution optimization. With PNC segment that continues to invest in its activities, we expect expense growth to normalize around 3% for fiscal 2020 and operating leverage to be positive. Our wealth management segment continues to perform well on the efficiency front with a positive operating leverage and an excellent efficiency ratio for the quarter. Our financial market segment delivered neutral operating leverage as a strong top-line growth was offset by higher variable compensation and higher transaction expenses. Both financial market segment and U.S. specialty finance and international segment posted excellent efficiency ratios in the low 40s. Over the years, we have showed consistency in our ability to manage our cost effectively and achieve meaningful efficiency improvements. At the same time, we have made major investments in talent, client experience, and technology. As we are progressing through our transformation journey, maintaining the right balance between investing to generate future growth while managing our costs prudently remains a key priority for the bank. Our transformation continues to bear fruit, and we remain confident in our ability to deliver a positive operating leverage for fiscal 2020. Now turning to the capital review on page 8. Our CD1 ratio stood at 11.7% at quarter end. Strong earnings growth contributed 39 basis points to our CD1, whereas risk-weighted assets had an impact of 27 basis points, reflecting good volumes across all segments. The combined impact of accounting and regulatory changes occurred during the quarter reduced CD1 by 17 basis points, in line with expectations. Our total capital ratio stood at 16% at the end of the quarter, and our liquidity coverage ratio at 144%. To conclude, we are pleased with our capital and liquidity positions, which we view as prudent at this stage of the cycle. On this, I'm turning the call over to Bill for the risk review. Merci, Gislain, and good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin on slide 10. The performance of our credit portfolios remained strong last quarter, having benefited both from a supportive economic backdrop as well as from our overweight Quebec and underweight unsecured consumer lending profile. Total provisions for credit losses were $89 million or 23 basis points, unchanged from last quarter and one basis point lower than the same quarter last year. PCLs on impaired loans totaled $82 million or 21 basis points in Q1, in line on a quarter-over-quarter and year-over-year basis. Lower impaired PCLs at Credigy were offset by higher impaired PCLs in financial markets. Credigy's performance continued to match our expectations as declining provisions tracked the amortization in the unsecured consumer portfolio. 
Total PCLs on performing loans were $8 million in the quarter. Excluding the international sector, PCLs on performing loans were $12 million, or three basis points, primarily due to portfolio growth and revisions of forward-looking factors. In Q1, we adjusted several factors in our pessimistic scenario to take into account potential negative economic impacts of the coronavirus. These adjustments led to higher performing PCLs, primarily in non-retail loan portfolios. Looking forward, we'll continue to be vigilant in monitoring changes in the macroeconomic environment. We maintain our target range for total PCLs in 2020 and expect to end up close to the middle of the 20 to 30 basis point range. Turning to slide 11, our gross impaired loans declined to $677 million last quarter and our GIL ratio improved by one basis point to 43 basis points. Net formations were lower in our PNC segments. The increase in formations in the financial market segment related to one account in Western Canada in the electricity generation sector and was partially offset by lower formations at Credigy. On slide 12, you'll find a review of our retail mortgage and HELOC portfolio. Insured mortgages account for about 39%, followed by HELOCs at 33%, and uninsured mortgages at 28%. Borrowers in the province of Quebec account for the majority of the portfolio, and exposure in the GTA and GVA remains modest. In summary, we were very pleased with the good performance of our credit portfolios in the last quarter. Our overweight Quebec and underweight unsecured consumer lending continue to position us well for strong performance in the current economic context. And on that, I'll turn it back to the operator for the Q&A. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Manny Groman from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, just uh, a question on uh, ABA specifically. I'm wondering um, if you're seeing any signs of uh, economic uh, weakness uh, so far in Q2, if you've changed your outlook at all. Uh, obviously, the coronavirus um, is one factor, but also uh, the uh, partial suspension of the duty-free access uh, for Cambodia. I'm wondering how you view those risks uh, given for ABA specifically. Uh, thanks, Manny. Uh, the, uh, this is Louis. So on, on Cambodia, the, the first thing, the uh, European uh, uh, community action, that was not a surprise. That was already factored into our budgets and forecast for 2020. What obviously was a surprise uh, was the, uh, the virus. As you may have seen, um, Modi's uh, just revised its expected growth for Cambodia from 6.5% growth in uh, 2020 down to five and a half percent mostly on the impact of uh, on the tourist industry which is uh, currently being felt um, so far i think you know we don't have a huge amount of precedent historical precedent uh with that operation so far in january and february we haven't seen any negative impact on the franchise but granted i think it's too early to see whether what the impact would be uh, so I think we'll have more to say on that on uh, on, uh, on the next uh, call. 
my sense, uh, the way I think we look at it as a team uh, right now is that if it's if the virus is a um, reduces uh, reduces growth uh, globally for uh, you know one or two quarters, um, I think the momentum of that business and the fact that we've been conservative on on the credit side, I think should still allow us to generate good uh, double-digit growth uh, in earnings in that business. If we move to a more uh, a more, you know, a more pessimistic scenario of, you know, the virus causing a, you know, full-fledged global recession, then I think that, uh, you know, we're probably a little less confident on that prediction. But then at that stage, you know, I would, I would probably assume that PCLs in Cambodia would be, you know, not our number one priority or concern. Understood. And, and just to follow up, have you made any changes to the way you're monitoring operations on the ground there, especially from a risk perspective? Not nothing significant. No, I think uh, I think we uh, we continue. I think there's been, as you know, uh, very few uh, documented cases. So in terms of operations on the ground right now, and uh, and and monitoring, uh, we haven't uh, we haven't changed anything specifically. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Steve Terrio from Eight Capital. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Um, if I could start with a question on Credigy. We're starting to see uh, the last couple of quarters, and this quarter in particular, the assets ramping. Uh, wanted to ask, should we expect to see the type of seasoning and rise in, in PCL, you know, maybe next year, maybe in 2021, back to the levels we saw uh, at the tail end last time? So just want to get some color there, not, not fully appreciating maybe the mix of what you're putting on the books this year. Yeah, hi Steve. Uh, thanks for the question. It's Bill. I'll start off, and maybe Jislan will uh, will add. So, as you know, the the PCL impact is very dependent on what type of assets uh, um, Credigy is uh, seeing opportunities in. Generally, the in the consumer unsecured portfolio, which generates most of those PCLs, uh, the weight of their portfolio um, is significantly lower than it was, uh, you know, when we reached the the peak. It was over 30 percent. I think now it's down to around. 20, 23%. So um, there, it depends on whether we see uh, further opportunities in the consumer unsecured, but I don't expect uh, in 2020 uh, to be uh, anywhere near where we were um, in the, the, the 2018 and 19. Anything else? But some rise possibly in, in 2021 as the assets you're putting on now season or, or, or not necessarily? Yeah, so I think the in, the in the performing PCLs, it will be driven by the growth in the portfolio. Um, in at the end of 2019, and again this quarter, the impact was from the amortization of the of the consumer unsecured. So I would expect that to taper, and I would expect to see uh, some performing PCLs uh, growing higher during the uh, by the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. And maybe Bill. Sorry. Oh, sorry, just to just like so I just want to uh, so I think that on the credit side, you know, uh, what Bill just mentioned is is okay and. Uh, and I uh, just want to uh, to reiterate that uh, what we said last quarter that we expect double digit growth you know for revenues and and uh, and, and net income for 2020 so we uh, we uh, we reiterate you know what we said the last quarter okay and just the other uh, item for me was uh, Bill, I want to ask just on that utility and the manufacturing uh, PCL we see this quarter did they spend some time in, in stage two or were those uh, did they skip directly to stage uh, to stage three? 
Um, no, they spent uh, the, the utility in the in the financial markets had been in the watch list and been in stage two for quite a while, um, and and that's why you'll see that the there was a migration from stage two provisions to stage three provisions for that. That's why even though we made some changes in our in our scenario to take into account the the, uh, the COVID-19 virus. Uh, financial markets still had a reduction in the uh, performing loss provisions, uh, primarily because of the migration. So that uh, it had been in the uh, in the stage two for a while. Okay, thanks for that. Thank you. Our following question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon. Just on the PNC banking, the guidance for three uh, percent. Next growth through the year. You obviously put up 1% in Q1. Um, just trying to get a sense of, uh, you know, you're obviously going to ramp up expenses uh, over the remainder of the year. Can you talk a bit about what that's related to? And then if the revenue growth environment is, is tough out there, uh, do you have the levers to kind of pull back on that if, if need be? Yes, I exclusively, I'll start and maybe just Lane can compliment. So on the expense uh, this quarter, it's the, the lower expense is really due to uh, some savings in the write-off and also efficiency in the distribution network. It is expected to normalize throughout the, throughout the year uh, to end up between 2 and 3% uh, as guided previously. And on, uh, on the revenue growth, I would say that the, the revenue growth uh, is also in line with the expectations that we have on margins. And uh, it is um, expected to have slight decrease in margin um, this year. So we will still uh, end up with a positive operating leverage, like uh, Justine explained. And then just, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit further, and I think that in the prepared remarks, and, and I forget who mentioned this, um, but putting capital to work to drive you know, positive operating leverage, is there thoughts of um, a need to have another restructuring charge within your organization um, or do you feel comfortable with uh, with where you stand from a cost structure perspective? Um, well, uh, it's probably uh, during my uh, my remarks, but no, there's no restructuring charge, you know, budgeted for this year, and it's not in the plan, and we're not even discussing it within the bank. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our following question is from Summit Malotra from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. I just want to start by, by picking up uh, on revenue within the personal and commercial bank uh, and maybe following on where, where Doug was going there. Uh, Louis said many times in, in the years I've covered this bank that uh, Quebec is, is a no-boom, no-bust uh, province or, or marketplace. It's, it's certainly been a boom for a few years now. Yet when we look at uh, either loan growth in the consumer book, the commercial portfolio, and, and the year-over-year -year in revenue, despite the fact your margins actually only down one basis point, those numbers are, are towards the lower end of, of the group and in some cases at the very low end. Why, why do you think it is that your, your revenue has trended that way during such a strong period economically for the province? And uh, candidly, do, do you think you've uh, been somewhat too risk averse in, in some of the areas where there's an opportunity to drive more, more top line growth? So I'll start. And uh, so, um, I think, uh, Samantha, I think we've been pretty consistent on our on our narrative that, uh, um, yeah, we, we're very happy with uh, with uh, the performance of the Quebec economy, 
but at the same time, we want to make sure that uh, hey, we've been conscious that uh, we've been, uh, you know, we feel we're late in the business cycle, and uh, and that's why we want to continue to whatever business we put on the balance sheet, uh, we want to make sure that it's uh, at good terms and conditions from a risk perspective, and also at decent margins. So, uh, you know, be, you know. We've been here for a long time. We're very comfortable with our position in the province. Uh, we are very sensitive to market share over the mid and long term. We're a little less sensitive to market share over a short period of time. Um, and uh, I think for us, I think it would just make sure that we, we manage the volume growth at the right thing. And uh, we'll see, you know, listen, if there's no recession within the next three years, you, you know, you may be proven right that we were a little bit too conservative too early. Uh, you know what? I think as a as a team, that's a risk we're willing to live with. So, um, any any else? Uh, the other thing, you know, Stefan. Yeah, uh, this is Stefan Summit. So I'll, I'll just add as well. You know, we often talk about house prices being lower in Quebec. The same applies basically to the business markets. Real property, whether it be uh, land or premises for for entrepreneurs, are lower value. So the individual transactions, whether in ag or in, in manufacturing, are always lower. So that always impacts over and above the balance between risk and, uh, and balanced growth. It's also a reality of the Quebec dynamic, which explains the lower asset growth. So if I, if I hear you, it's, uh, it, it is a commentary on, on your risk appetite. And if expenses are going to increase over the, the coming three quarters, you've got a nice start on operating leverage. You're going to be positive for the full year. But it's not uh, you're, you're willing to give some of that back if uh, the opportunities you see for lending is, is not where you think the risk appetite lies. That's that's the synopsis I hear from you. Yes, and I think I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we've been pretty consistent on that, right? So, uh, particularly areas like you know, uh, commercial real estate. Yes, we have an appetite for commercial real estate. We don't have a uh, you know uh, a limited appetite for commercial real estate. So. Um, so if you if you put some cap on commercial real estate growth by necessity, you know we may you know for a short period of time or for the you know a year or two underperform other people that don't put a cap on commercial real estate uh, loan growth. Uh, thank you for that, and I'm going to stay with you for my my second and last question, and and maybe to to go on with that theme of consistency. There's nobody in this in this group that's been more consistent when it comes to the wholesale business than the national has, and you know again today. Uh, in a quarter where there's some some pretty big numbers, uh, you guys seem like you do a a, a nice steady performance there, irrespective of what's going on. To that end, uh, we we heard Bill's comments and in, in the risk uh, commentary. It was all centered around credit risk. Would be curious to hear, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff we see on the tape this week in terms of worst week since '08, uh, in terms of equities, bond yields at record lows. Um, you and I were talking on these calls in 08. It, it doesn't feel like that this week to me as, as it did back then, but I uh, just would like to hear you uh, hear, hear your thoughts on how the bank and the dealer more specifically thinks about risks in your trading portfolio and more accurately manages those risks in, in periods like we've had this week uh, as uh, far as market risk and, and potential trading losses is concerned. Um. No, you want to take that one, or you want me to answer? Sure. sure. I, I, I think you've heard us also in the past. When it comes to trading, we generally have um, you know a risk profile that's sort of defensive, rates, credit, and equity, and it's about that balance that Louis is talking about. 
you know, in terms of growth and good risk management. And so it does reflect in our results, right? And it's, it's stable growth and uh, also whenever there's a, uh, you know, a risk on, which we've seen at the end of last year, you know, we, we participate, but we're also, you know, careful in that as well. So that's why I think you're seeing a little bit more stable revenues overall. I don't know if that answers the question. And, but, you know, as uh, we have all have enough scars around the table, we know that <laughs> when it comes down to trading, uh, you know, trading income, there's always uh, room for surprises. But I think strategically the key thing is for us is to stay to businesses where we feel we have an expertise in value added. And, um, and in, in explaining, the, you know, again, this quarter, the, the difference between our results and that of our competitors, who, you know, probably had a bigger rebound. The bigger difference is the size of their U.S. franchises versus ours. So number one, risk management is strategic risk management. And we don't feel we have a comparative advantage in U.S. credit and U.S. capital markets business, and uh, we, we stick to the business we know. And more to the point, last thing, you've told, you've told us over the years that the bank tends to be long volatility when it comes to uh, trading operations. I, I think we and other banks have discussed there there can be good volatility and bad volatility depending on, on uh, positioning and, and how trading trends. Is there anything, and I'm not asking you to give me the P&L for, for this week, but is there anything in, in periods of dislocation like this that uh, stands out to you negatively from the bank's positioning in a risk perspective? No, I think it's so far good volatility. Uh, bad volatility would be uh, volatility that at some point will start uh, would start impacting the M and A uh, pipeline. And, Thanks for your uh, time. That's what we you know we would watch out for. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time for any questions or comments. Our following question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. If, if I could turn to uh, PCLs for a moment in your personal and commercial banking segment. So that increase uh, that occurred in the quarter, it looks like one, it was first uh, driven by higher provisions on uh, performing loans for personal banking loans. Um, so one, what's driving that higher provisions on, on personal banking loans given the strength we're seeing in the, uh, the Quebec economy. And the second factor appears to be uh, higher provisions on credit card uh, receivables. And, and what's the factor driving that higher? Does it have anything to do with the uh, rule change at all, or are there other factors at play there? Thanks, Nigel. I'll, I'll start off on that. Um, if you look at, at slide 27 in the SFI, actually the stage one and stage two provision increase for PNC is really coming from commercial rather than, uh, than personal or, or credit cards. I think uh, quarter over quarter, um, this, the performing loan provisions are, are, are lower a bit in, in uh, personal banking and credit cards, partially because of the strength in the Quebec, uh, Quebec economy and Quebec consumer. The commercial banking one, uh, the increase, uh, the, the, the majority of that comes from the change we made in our forward-looking macroeconomic factors. As I mentioned, at the, at the end of last quarter, you know, we... It's, it's still fairly uh, early to try to assess what the final impacts will be of the, of the um, coronavirus, but we felt it prudent to make some adjustments in our pessimistic case, uh, and uh, we, we tweaked a little more negative three factors, which we thought would uh, had a higher chance of being 
impacted, that being commodity prices, stock markets, and corporate credit spreads. And naturally, that impacted the, the non-retail uh, uh, part of the portfolio. So that, uh, that's what you see in the commercial banking, and that's, uh, that's really what you see overall for PNC and their loan losses. Impaired loan losses were pretty stable quarter over quarter in PNC. It was the performing in the commercial book that uh, had the increase. Does that answer your uh, question? Yeah, so is it fair to say that as of right now, you're not expecting any uh, uptick in performing PCLs on the, on the personal side? I will listen. We will will follow the macroeconomic events. We think that the coronavirus, uh, if it's if the impacts continue, it'll felt be felt first through performing uh, and and in the uh, the non-retail uh, sector of the portfolio. Okay, appreciate the caller. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. I, I just wanted to go back to the uh, the PNC segment and, and just on the revenue. When I when I look at personal on a year over year basis, loans were up four percent, revenue was up four, and then when I look at commercial, it was up six, but revenue was only up three percent year over year. Uh, maybe just trying to understand maybe the variance on the commercial side, if you could provide some color. Certainly, this is Stefan. So um, the reality is, if you look at revenues from a loans business, it were actually up in excess of 6%, but the overall revenues were only up 3%. As we've let go of marginal returns or marginal margin deposits, uh, and that impacted the overall revenues of the business. And those were largely on the governmental side, and we report our governmental institutional deposits as part of the commercial. And that's the main reason you see this lag. And that pretty much uh, has been clean. You shall see it uh, bounce back up to its regular levels in the future. Okay. And just lastly, on the on the international side, if I kind of track the employees, it's it's been increasing sequentially every quarter. Every quarter, this quarter, um, it was up uh, 11% or over 700. When do we see an inflection point? And I'm assuming this is at ABA. When do we see an inflection point where that kind of stabilizes and and, and and, and and kind of directionally, uh, I think it helps us make it makes us look at the uh, the earnings trajectory on that platform as well too, which continues to be robust. Uh, Scott, the uh, this is Louis. I think uh, we're uh, still opening branches. I think the a uh, lot of the staffing. You're right. Is um, uh, almost all the staffing increases that you see is related to ABA, and uh, some of that is uh, obviously uh, you know corporate and control functions. But most of it is uh, the, the additional staff in branch. Um, so we're still uh, expecting to open some branches in uh, 2020. Uh, and then uh, we're with the team right now. We, uh, we're working on plans for 2021. So I think at some point we will communicate what the, uh, the plans will be for uh, branch opening in 2021. Uh, but it's pretty much related to that. And once we slow down uh, the opening of, uh, of branches, then clearly I think the it should be a slowdown in hiring uh, of staff in Cambodia. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. The following question is from Sorab Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. I just wanted to pick up where uh, I think more or less Sumit left off. Louis, the bank relies more heavily than others on trading revenue. I think 16% of the overall revenue comes from whether it's equity or fixed income and com commodities and the like. 
probably equity trading revenue is 7 8% of the top line for the bank. What, what sort of a number do you think we should be thinking from a volatility perspective around that number if we look at you know, this quarter, last number of quarters? Uh, from quarter to quarter, Sir Rob, I think that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I, I think that's not quite the way we look at the business. I think we we, we tend to look at uh, that, you know, within the bank, my level, at uh, having, you know, a greater and greater diversification in terms of our revenue sources. That 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 is why strategically, uh, we created a fourth reporting segment the last uh, last three years with international and even within. Even within capital markets, I think the hope is that uh, we have diversified uh, sources of, of uh, revenues from the different uh, differences we have that ideally will not always be perfectly correlated, and that 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 mix at some point, uh, you know, will, will will bring some you know good return on capital, but at some point also, uh, you know, have uh, you know acceptable volatility, and that's that's what I think we've tried to to produce in the last, God knows, 15, 20 years. So I, I don't think we have a particular target in mind of how much, you know, equity trading will represent in terms of the uh, of the business. I think we try to understand what we think are the correlation patterns and risk patterns between the different businesses and ideally ideally have a mix of business that's not, you know, that uh, in most most scenarios uh, will tend to produce a decent return on capital. Uh, Laurent, anything well, else to add on that? Sure. I mean, the business mix is different versus others. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked and we've said that in the past. Uh, um, this is a client flow business. So it is in a niche that we've, uh, you know, worked on year over year. And, uh, you know, we've, we've invested in people and technology and we're quite comfortable with it. So I think demonstrating in terms of results and resiliency, it's been there. So, not a target, uh, but definitely a, a place where we're comfortable. We're comfortable with the risk, and uh, we've definitely, uh, you know, have built up some expertise in in that space. Maybe if I can just follow up. I mean, again, at the total bank level, when you say you're comfortable, are you comfortable with it growing as a percentage of the overall revenues? Well, I think. Over time, as you know, I think we've been pretty stable um, over the last four or five years. I think the, uh, we've been uh, we've been comfortable with the percentage of, uh, of revenue coming from the whole uh, whole side of the wholesale side of the business, and uh, and I think that had you know a positive impact on our performance and on our multiple. So I think uh, in terms of guidance, I think we're looking to grow wholesale. So we're at about the same speed as the whole franchise, which is five to ten percent per year, and I think we've okay. been pretty on that, uh, you know, in the last few years on that. Sorry, sorry, and just one last question. Maybe I don't know if it's for Laurent or for for Bill. I'm looking at the supplementary financial information where you have the the derivative financial institu- uh, instruments kind of broken down. The credit equivalent number on equity and commodity contracts has doubled year over year. I, I'm not so sure. Does that, does that basically mean the credit risk associated with the equity business has doubled year over year? I don't believe so. That may actually be a question for Jean Dechenet. <laughs> okay. 
But and, yeah. and maybe Laurent will take a crack. At I, I'll take a crack. Most of these contracts are are collateralized. Um, so no, there, there's there's not a, a significant increase in in terms of uh, credit risk. I mean, there's party risk, but it is daily collateralized. And maybe uh, um, I remember we spoke last quarter uh, about the SACCR mm -hmm. uh, impact change. and mm -hmm. change in it uh, from from year over year. I think there was uh, it was difficult to compare, but we can uh, we can look at it with yeah, John and we'll give get, you a call back offline. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Mario Mendonca from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, Louis. Could you help me think through um, Cambodia and? And what I'm going with here is, has the has the bank's risk appetite changed at all in terms of loan growth? I mean, I know you're opening a lot of branches, and that's what's driving this very strong loan growth. But have you revisited your risk appetite vis-à-vis uh, -vis Cambodia in the context of, of this virus? Uh, short term, the answer, uh, Mario, is no. We have not done that. Um, and uh, the reason is that uh, so far, and I appreciate it's very early, and uh, the portfolio is still, you know, uh, aging, and we, we have yet to see, uh, you know, how well it will age. It's certainly so far aging quite well. But we've been, uh, and the reason we've, we did not feel the need to do that is that our, our lending model and our uh, business model has been the same ever since we've invested in ABA and, and took control, namely the last five years. And we target 95% of the loans still target exactly, so it's small, family-owned businesses where we have the real estate as collateral. And so we've stayed very, very within that niche, and we still we are very, very comfortable with that. So... It's not that we're in, you know, credit card or unsecured and auto loans, things that are very, in theory, very volatile and very correlated to the business cycle. We feel that we have, uh, you know, good uh, protection given the fact that we have uh, real estate collateral on these loans. So we have not changed anything with the team so far. Uh, as I said, we're still assessing exactly what the impact will be on the economy. Um, and then from there, if there are changes, we'll, we'll let people know. But short-term, no, Mario, we have not made any changes. So if, if ABNA, if it's growth as usual, and let's, let's just all sort of cross our fingers here and hope this COVID issue becomes a distant memory soon enough. Yeah. If that continues to grow, and, and Credigy, clearly you've guided that, that we're, we're going to look at double-digit loan growth there. And finally, if you're spending in domestic P&C, levels off at about 3%, then it seems logical to suggest that that, that business unit, the Cambodia and Credigy business unit, could, could exceed 15% of total bank earnings by the end of this year. Say, like, let's call it Q4 2020. Is that a number, first of all, does it make sense to you, and are you content with that? Uh, the answer is yes, Mario. I, you know, that, that, that there's a possibility. Now, I'm looking around the table here, and I think uh, everybody... Uh, wants to, uh, in terms of revenue growth, uh, you know, want to maintain their, their percentages, but uh, in terms of business lines, but uh, what that scenario they just described is a possibility. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have no further questions registered at this time. I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Louis Vachon. Thank you, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, for the results of uh, the second quarter. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. The conference has now ended.
please disconnect your lines at this time. And we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.